we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 14, and um, we're going to talk about uh, the, the moment in, in the prophetic book of Isaiah that deals with Lucifer and pride. So we're going to jump into a scripture that's dealing with pride of the heart of Lucifer. And if you don't know, Lucifer is, is an angel that was created by God, a spiritual being, and, and um, he is the one who became Satan. And uh, although he was created to worship God and he was, scripture has several passages that seem to indicate that he was a, had a position in heaven and a, a spiritual place of worship to God in heaven, but he entered into a heart of pride and was kicked out of heaven and he took a bunch of angels with him. And that's where we get demonic presences, angels that have fallen or left heaven. And so we're going we're gonna to see where the heart of pride uh, really, uh, we, we see it initiated and then, and then it's passed on that we have to overcome. How many believe we can overcome pride in Jesus' name? All right, well, let's jump in. Isaiah 14, verse 12. This is God speaking of Lucifer. How, oh, how you have fallen from heaven. Morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Listen to how many times you hear the word I. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. James chapter four, uh, James is writing to the church and he's talking to them about the pride that's within the people that needed to be dealt with. And he says these words, he says, but God gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the, what? Humble. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God, speak to our hearts today through your word. Deal with the pride of our heart that we might be humble and acceptable to you in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in talking about pride today, I was listening to a few uh, messages and I listened to Kay Arthur, if you know who she is. She's a world-renowned speaker and author and uh, she's written a lot of books and she's very popular in in preaching a lot of topics that uh, the teachings come out of scripture. But one of the things she said is that books on pride don't sell real well. (laughs) She was teaching about pride and she said, "Um, I wrote a book on pride and didn't sell a lot of copies. And so she renamed the title and she rearranged the words and then it did a lot better because how many of you know people who have pride probably aren't recognizing, hey, I need to buy a book on pride so I can get better. One, they're either like too proud to get the book and they're like, I don't have pride or they're too proud to let anybody see that they need help with pride, right? That's the nature of pride. So she said, so just so if you know, if you ever write a book on pride, make sure you take the word pride out of the title and say how to get better or something like that. We don't like to admit that we have pride, do we? That's why I had you look to your neighbor and say, this sermon's for you. Because I don't have pride. I'm not a prideful person. But I think we can look a little deeper and and look into the pride that maybe 
does have the human heart. Now, I, I wanted to have an illustration today, just before we get started. I wanted to have an illustration like about pride and how pride is, uh, pride comes before a fall. How many of you heard that scripture, pride comes before a fall, right? So I was trying to think of, you know, when, when somebody who just like thinks that they, 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 they brag just too much and you know they're exaggerating, you know they're bragging and, and, and they need to be humbled and they trash talk and they trash talk your team a little bit too much and, and so then they end up making a bet and then you argue and you fight and you're like, no, you're not right and you know that they're wrong, their team's not better and then they end up preaching in a Cowboys jersey. You know what I'm talking about, right? But I couldn't think of a, oh, look at there. Hey, look, these guys gave us a perfect example. Thank you. Um, this is what happens when you preach and really dog on me and then give me the pulpit the next week. Then I get the chance for revenge. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Pastor, thank you for letting me preach. Please let me preach again. Um, so we, we joke a lot around here. I have a lot of pride in my cowboys and, and we, we trash talk each other all the time and, and sometimes we have to be humbled a little bit. But how many of you know that's not the kind of pride I'm talking about today? I'm not talking about the kind of pride that trash talks on a basketball team or the football field. And I'm not talking about the kind of pride that we have in our children and we wanna see them up on the stage and we're proud of their accomplishments and their trophies. I'm not, I'm not talking about the kind of pride that, that we have in, in ourselves for accomplishing things. I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of you for doing this. I'm talking about the kind of pride that enters into the heart that really kind of stands against God. The, the pride that elevates self over everything. Now, now the dictionary uh, that I, and I looked up says the word pride means a deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is associated or the qualities of possessions that are widely admired. In other words, it's being proud. But when you talk about the kind of pride that Lucifer had, it was that really strong emphasis on one's own achievements. It's the looking to self over all things. And that kind of pride is, 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 is well, let's just, let's just talk about it. The pride that found a home in Lucifer's heart when he said, I will ascend to the most high, found its way into the human heart when as a serpent, he tempted Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve were, were in the garden of Eden when God's provision was good and they lived with the blessing of God and, and the serpent who had already been thrown out of heaven who had went from the place of I will ascend to the most high to being cast down to the places of the dead and the pit, the Bible says. And, and he now came to Adam and Eve, God's creation, the pinnacle of his creation, the humans. And he said to them this, he said in Genesis 3, you, did God say you shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? How many of you know we don't need to know evil? He said, God didn't say you will surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the serpent who had pride in his heart said, I will ascend to the throne of the most high. He brought the, the thoughts and the ideas to Adam and even said, don't you want to be like God? Don't, don't you want to know all things? What he was really saying is, don't you want to elevate yourself to a position to be on the throne of the most high? He didn't use those words, but that was the thought. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. Don't you understand that Adam and Eve already knew the source of good? They knew God and God is what? Here's the equation. This is the math. God is good. We know God. So we know what? We know good. 
And so what Satan was doing is saying, well, that's not enough. What he's saying is the one who sits on the throne that told you, you already have good. See all of the gardens, see all of the good things. You can have any of it. Just do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. How many of you know God knew what was best for Adam and Eve? And so he said, don't eat of that tree because you don't want to know evil. You don't need, we don't want to know evil, people. (laughs) But the servant came along and goes, don't you know when you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. What he really meant is he said this, you're going to elevate yourself to where you know the difference between good and evil. You're the one who decides what is good and and right and right. Don't you understand God's trying to limit you, but you can be like God. I want you to know she was already like God. She was made in the image of God. And yet Satan, the pride of his heart, he said, that's not enough. You you need to elevate yourself to the position where you no longer need to know God and, and let him tell you what's right and wrong or good or evil. You can know for yourself. And so this deceptiveness, listen, listen, this is something you need to know about pride. Pride is deceptive. It's subtle. It hides down in our heart. Even though we know that we shouldn't eat of the tree, we rationalize and we say, you know what? And all of a sudden Eve moved from a place of, I know I shouldn't do this, to a place of questioning, maybe God isn't that good. And, and the Bible says that when she saw the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for fruit and get profitable for gaining knowledge, she threw away the commands of the Lord, the, the, the overseer, the, the one who had created her and said, I'm throwing your commands away and I'm gonna choose and I'm elevating myself to a place of disobedience and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And that's where pride entered the heart of man. Can I tell you that pride is dangerous? Pride, pride puts us in the wrong position. That's the first point I wanna to make today. Pride elevates us to a place we were never designed to be. Pride elevates self to the position of God. Pride, pride places ourselves at the highest, at the center of the universe. And we says, we, we are our God to ourselves. And listen, I want you to know that pride is dangerous because when we no longer walk under God's goodness, God is a good God. Everybody say amen. God is a good God. And when we take ourselves out and now we are the ones that are living, all of a sudden there's this prideful heart and now there's a knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden we see in our world the human heart and the capacity for us to have a lack of compassion and to hurt and harm other people. And, and, And I want you to understand something today. Pride is behind every lack of love. Pride is behind every indifference and injustice in the world. Pride is behind every oppression and racism and and every oppression of another person and and submitting or pushing people down. Pride is behind every broken relationship. You see, pride is dangerous because it puts self above all other things. And it's hidden. It's subtle. Sometimes I wonder how racism in our country could have been ever so prevalent where someone would look and, and a group of people would, 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 uh, would harm or, or pull over someone on the side of the street and beat them up for being a different race. How, how could that have ever happened in our nation? How, how could there have ever been such a lack of, of understanding and care for our fellow man? And, and the idea is this, that pride hidden in the human heart manifests in really ugly ways. I'm better than you are. 
You don't deserve. You're not like me. And, and pride, here's what pride does. It puts us in a wrong position. Instead of God being over all of his creation, now I'm the, 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 the one who's elevated. I've elevated myself above all. So now I get to decide what's good, what's bad, who's acceptable, who's not, who I like and who I don't like. And all of a sudden we go from God being the judge and God being the the rule maker, God being controlled to I'm in control, I'm the judge, I'm the rule maker. Pride elevates us to the highest place above all things, even above God himself. And so we become a God to ourselves. And God told the children of Israel, the children of Israel in the Old Testament were God's people. And it was symbolic of his church today. And he dealt with the children of Israel as just as he does with us as the body, as, as a father, as a provider, as a carer. And he told the children of Israel, he, he said, I'm going to take you out of slavery. Do you remember that story? He took them out of slavery from Egypt where they had been enslaved for years. And it's a symbolism uh, for the New Testament believers of being delivered from a slavery uh, to sin. And so he uses an example and he said, I'm going to deliver you. And he did it in a very real way. He parted the Red Sea. He literally caused the, the, the children of Israel to pass through the sea with the waters, a miracle on the sides. And, and when their armies chased after them, the sea closed in around them and, and destroyed the enemies. And God was showing them, look, I'm your provider. I'm your God. I'll watch over you. And he told the children of Israel, he said, I'm going to lead you into a land that is good. And so he led them to the promised land. He led them to the, the place where they would have a blessing and have a good life. And they struggled with keeping God in the right position. They struggled, the children of Israel, with, with recognizing God's provision and authority and, and rules and guidelines. And one of the first thing they do, they, get, they watch God do miracles. They get out into the desert. And the first thing they do is three days later, they're like, it's hot out here. They're like, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Moses, where's this restaurant we're supposed to go? This is a desert. There's nothing out here. And they begin to complain against God. And rather than looking to him as a provider, they just struggled in their heart. And listen, that comes from a place of pride. And so God tells the children of Israel when they fast forward multiple, actually a generation later, because that generation disobeyed God. He made them wander in the desert for a while. He brings them into the promised land. And when he does, he, he begins in Deuteronomy to tell them, listen, I'm about to give you this good land. And he tells them, listen, there's going to be blessings if you follow me. And then there's going to be curses if you don't. You follow me, good things, I'm the provider. You don't, you're left to your own devices. And there is pain and struggle and heartache and the curse of sin. And so he tells them these things. And in Deuteronomy 8, listen to what he tells his children. He says, when you have eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. How many of you know we need to be thankful for what God has given us? Did he say anywhere in there that you're, you will have had no trouble, all things will be good, no heartache or problems, and in those moments, be thankful? No. I'm sure the children of Israel had hardships. I'm sure they had struggles of life. But he said, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, listen closely, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. 
You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Did you know that God has given you even the ability to work? The permission for resource to come into your life flows through his hands. I'm not just talking about opportunities or good jobs or raises. I'm talking about your own ability to get up in the morning and wake up and move your two feet to go to a job is given to you by God. And yet he says, if you're not careful, you're gonna say, I've done this. And the pride of our heart, listen to how subtle that is because it is true that I built this house. It is true that I got up and I put the pins up for my animals. It is true that I, but it wasn't from me. And and he says, be careful because you'll move from, hey, I did this work to, I made this all happen. And pride's a subtle thing. And it takes root and it grows. And here's what God's telling the children of Israel. You didn't get yourself here. You can't even sustain yourself. And so there's this leveraging that happens and we move ourselves from being under God as our provider to we live a little under blessing and we have our own things and we do and we start letting pride settle in and it puts us in the wrong position. And he says, you gotta be careful, Lord. You'll move up to here and go, I brought myself here and God's over here on the side. He is God and we are dependent, utterly dependent upon him. Can I propose this something to you today? We can't do nothing without God. Anything we do is allowed by him. The oxygen you're breathing in this room exists here from his permission for you to take a breath today. We can do nothing without God. It's allowed by him, it's given by him. He's, the, he's supposed to be the provider. He's supposed to be the one in whom we trust. He's the one who makes the rules, he makes the commitment. And listen, when we attempt to move that position and move the bar over and go, I wanna be a little more in charge, God, and we take what was meant to be under his guidance and we're the stewards, now know we're in charge, we become the ruler, we become the judge. We're the one that we rely on our own wisdom and the children of Israel were like, I, I, it's me, my provi- I'm the provider. I'm the one who does these things. And listen, I want you to understand something. God wants to meet the needs of your life. God wants you to be provided for, but he also has, is concerned about the condition of your soul more than he is the condition of your physical needs. One of the concerns you always see that he has with the children of Israel is that it's like a little kid. You just give them everything you want, you give them everything you want, and eventually they start what? Getting demanding, and they start, give me, give me, I want. And then if you don't, they throw a what? They throw a fit. And listen, God wants to give and to bless. He's the provider. He's a benevolent God. He's a loving God. The, 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 the idea that people wouldn't want to trust in this God who's given us this earth to live in, it just blows my mind. He's a giving God, but we sometimes begin to go, give me, give me, give me. And then when we get what we want, we throw a fit if we don't have. And then we're like, God, answer to me as to why you didn't meet this need the way I thought. And all of a sudden, we're out of position. And pride crops up in so many places. God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why haven't I got that promotion? And they did, God, and all of a sudden now we're like this. It's like, you answer to me, God. You tell me why you didn't do this. I wanna caution you against allowing your heart not to look to God because it's a dangerous thing. It moves you to the position where you're the ultimate 
and God answers to you. And I got news for you. You may live a little while acting like he answers to you, but God does not answer to you. He doesn't answer to me. And, and one day he will call us to account for our lives and how we lived and say, now you all answer to me. The second thing that God, pride does is not only does it put us in the wrong position and flip-flop things from the way they should, pride steals the reflection of God in our lives. Pride erodes the character and the beauty that God created for us to shine on his behalf. Did you know that God made you to shine like stars in a dark world? God made you to reflect his character, his nature, his beauty. Did you know that you were created in the image of God? Pride, when, when you say, look at me, instead of look at the God who's working through me, pride says, don't look at God, look at me. And that, that diminishes God, and, it, and it's ugly, isn't it? When, you know when people are arrogant? You know when they're just like cocky? Don't you just want, like you see a cocky person, you like just want them to trip and fall on their face, don't you? They're just walking around strutting, you're like, I sure wish they'd fall. Why is that? Because that's not attractive, right? That's not, that's not the image of God. God has the world at his disposal, and yet he comes and attends to you and I out of a loving concern. That, that's the nature of God. And so arrogance and pride, we look at it and we're like, we, we don't want people to succeed like that because it's ugly. And, and when we have a heart of pride, it steals the glory and the image of God that's supposed to be shining through us. It erodes it, it takes it away. Just this weekend, this week, uh, two of our very own, uh, Eunice and Chris Solis, just had their first baby, and uh, we're so excited for them. Uh, yeah, give them a big congratulations, applause. I'm, they're probably watching right now. We're so happy for you guys. Um, baby Cristiano, and uh, such a beautiful baby. Isn't that a cute little child? Looks like his mama. Good thing, Chris, you, uh, you married well. So I was looking at them and she was posting pictures on Instagram and so happy for them. Chris and Eunice used to run these halls and these buildings in our youth group, our youth ministry. And, um, and, and you know this, if you've had a cousin or a nephew have a baby or someone in your family, a grandchild, you look at them. I was looking at the picture she put up and as soon as I looked at one picture, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's Chris. Oh, look at there, that's Eunice. You ever done that? You can see mom and then you can see dad and sometimes you see them both and then you see them one and you look at a little different and you go, oh, I see the eyes and you just see them in them. As I'm looking at that, I'm like, oh, that's Chris and Eunice right there. Smashed into a little face, beautiful little baby. And as I'm looking at that, listen, I, I recognize the image of the parent is in the child. The image of God is to be reflected in us. He created us in his image. In Genesis 3, it says, let us create man in our image. In the image of God, he created us. Listen to what verse 26 says. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Listen, this wasn't just saying, I'm putting you in charge, Adam. You're to be the boss of the birds. No, what he was saying is, I am a benevolent leader. I am a benevolent giving God. Here's the creation, Adam. You're, I'm putting you as the steward, and you're to be a benevolent provider and steward and have dominion over the earth. Oh, by the way, be fruitful and multiply. You know why? Because God's a creating God. So he said, Adam, go create. In fact, the very word procreation means after creation. We create after creation. We were made in God's image. 
We were made to display his glory. His, his DNA, his reflection is in us. We Listen, the potential to love and to express generosity, to lead benevolently, to have grace in relationships is, is, is all from the capacity that we hold in our hearts because we were designed in the likeness of our creator. We have our father's DNA. Some of us are more beautiful than others. Just saw my wife. I want you to think about this for a second. Think of the audacity of Satan's statement to Eve. When you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. Think of the arrogance. She was already like God. In fact, in comparison to the angels, which Lucifer was a created one, he's a created being. She was made more in the image of God than, than he was. She has the same, the same makeup and likeness of her heavenly father who created her in his image. She already was like God. She was made in the likeness and fashioned by God. Her capacity for relationship, her capacity to rule and to lead, all of that comes from the Lord. And he said, oh, then, then if you disobey, then if you know good and evil, then you will be like God. That's such an arrogant thing. And we see it in the heart of Lucifer. And he deceived Eve. But I want you to think about something for a second. The sunset, the beautiful sunset displays the colors or the the nature of God, the fact that when the sun rises and it goes down every day, it shows his faithfulness, his consistency. If you ever go watch a sunset here in Laredo, go, or go to the beach and watch a sunrise. There's just this beauty. It displays God's glory. That's what Psalm 19 says. It displays his glory. The mountains, they're, they're so, they, they just show splendor. I was, I was talking to a couple last week who went up to uh, Utah and they were uh, taking pictures and they had these huge, Indiana Jones was actually filmed there and he showed me pictures of all these big, huge rocks and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then he zoomed in and he goes, now, look, that's us. We were, and they were like huge rocks and I'm going, wow, that's amazing. It was just, there's splendor when you look at the mountains. Not only glory, but splendor. And then you look at the oceans and the stars and you see God's magnitude. You see the vastness. You see the, you just go swim in the ocean for a little bit and recognize that it's, it's two thirds of the earth covered with water. It's just huge. And the Bible says, the Bible says that God tells the oceans where to stop. I mean, God, God is so vast, he's so huge. And then the animals, oh, the animals show God's creativity. God's, all these different animals, they're still discovering in the ocean and in the unexplored regions, animals and insects and spiders and, and things that we've never even seen before, that the likes of which human eyes don't even get laid on. They're, just, they're living around the world every day, breathing and existing just because God said, I think I'm gonna be creative. Uh, did you know, I've said this before, you know there's 10,000, 10,000 species of beetle. Why, God? Why do we need 10,000 species? We don't even need 10,000 beetles on this earth, much less 10,000 species of beetles. Jedi told me this morning there's 13,000 species of spiders, and I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to go, why, God? Why did you give us the spiders at all? One would have been too many. But in all creation, the glory and the splendor and the magnitude and the majesty and the creativity and the variety, none of all of God's creation have the image of God like you. None of the images, none of the creation has the capacity 
ability to live in covenant relationship like you do. None have the ability to have grace and extend mercy and to show care and compassion for the lost like you do. You were made in the image of God. And I want you to grasp right now that you were created in the likeness of the beautiful, expansive God who says, I made you in my image. His, his love is to be expressed through us. To, he made us to be able to express extravagantly his love, to accomplish great things, eternal things, things that matter, relationships. And listen, no animal, no other creature can love like we do. They cannot explore like we do. No other entity can communicate and reason the way we do. No animal or other created being can create music and art and poetry like we can. None can appreciate beauty the way we do and just sit and watch a sunset and go wow the magnitude of that none have the authority and the, the ability to steward the way we do over the earth you know God gave us the ability to steward our earth and to take care of it and do what we will with it listen no one can live in a covenant relationship like us you can look at the apes you can look at different mammal groups and you see they'll care for their young you'll see that they'll defend you'll see they'll have components but none of them can live with covenant relationship that says I'll be there for you no matter what you do because I'm going to love the way God loves we were made in his image we were made to reflect his glory and pride listen pride diminishes his character in us and when we begin to have a heart that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Listen, listen closely here. Oh, you'll, you'll start to see the pride that's so subtle, it's hidden in our heart. It starts to say, I will do whatever I want to do. And pride is an obsessive focus on self. And I, I got news for you. I've recognized and learned that there is pride that is arrogant in nature. That says, look at me, I'm better than all of you. And then there's a pride that says, I'm not good enough. I'm lowly. I'm, I, I'm not, I can't ever do it. Did you know that was pride? An obsessive focus on self is pride. When you walk around and go, I'm not good enough. You were made in the image of God. What, who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you that you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Who told you that you wouldn't be able to overcome? Who told you that your sin was too great for you and your past will never be overcome? You were made in the image of your creator who gave his life for you, who said, I'll give my all. You are able to do all things. Listen, you're made in his image. Who, who told you you're not good enough? That's pride when you say I'm not good enough. It's pride when you say, I can't, God. It's pride when you think of yourself, when you walk by the mirror every day and you look and I say, I'm disgusted with myself. That's an inverted sense of pride. You're looking obsessively at yourself. Do you know when Adam and Eve were created before pride entered into their heart, they walked around, they were unashamed. Adam didn't even discover that he was naked and feel ashamed until after he sinned. He just, he didn't sit and look at himself and go, oh, am I good enough? Do I measure up? He didn't even have those thoughts. He just like, God, you're good. Pride is a focus. It's subtle sometimes because it, it runs our lives. It, it, it pushes us and motivates us because we're focused obsessively on self. And sometimes, listen, we can either, uh, we can either judge ourselves so harshly. You know, people like this, they're so, they're so rigid that they're always judging other people. Most likely it's because they're dealing with the issue in themselves. They don't feel they measure up. 
And listen, I, I'm, I'm guilty. We, we tend to either say, I'm gonna live however I want. Look at me, I'll live how I want to live. Or we live with this, like, I'll never be good enough. And so because of that, we feel inadequate. We feel insecure. And we begin to project that on others. And we judge other people. And listen, we're back to elevating ourselves to the judge. Listen, you're not only not supposed to judge others. God didn't even make you to judge yourself. He's the judge. Come on, let that sink in for a moment. A benevolent, loving creator is your judge. The one who is willing to offer his son as a sacrifice for you is your judge. The merciful and kind and patient, he's the one that judges your life. Do you remember when David committed adultery and had a son outside of wedlock? You know what he did? He went and the Bible says he fasted and he cried and he laid out on the floor. And as soon as the baby died, he knew. He knew that that was God's judgment on his sin. He made that mistake. And so he, the, his, his servant said, don't tell him the son died. If he was fasting and crying, if we tell him he died, he'll just lose it. And they come in, they say, I'm sorry, David, your son's dead. He got up, he put on oil, he washed off and he went to have dinner. And they're like, what? <laughs> he, you were like, and they asked him, you were fasting, you were crying. And he said, I, I laid and cried before the Lord because I knew he's a merciful God. And I just hoped he might he might be willing to extend mercy. But he trusted the Lord. He's like, it's in God's hands, not mine. He, he, he saw that this is, this is a merciful, loving God. He's the judge. And, if, and he says, and this is the wording, I love this wording. He goes, I can go to my son, but he can never come back to me. In other words, one day I'll see him again. Did you hear, even in the, that loss, there was the expression of faith that I'm gonna have an eternal life. Even in the midst of his sin, he recognized that God was gonna be gracious and allow him to live and see his son again. There, there, was, there was this understanding that God is a merciful, benevolent, loving God. Listen, we weren't made to judge ourselves. And it's pride when we walk around and we live in insecurity and fear and we don't expose that and go, God, this is how I feel, but I'm gonna look to you. Pride says I'm gonna keep focusing on myself. I'm gonna be, and listen, here's the danger with pride. You can only live with that shame for so long. And there's a new cultural movement that has come out of this, I'm ashamed of my behavior. And we've actually taken behaviors that have become, that we know that they're, they're against scriptural guidelines, against God's requirements for us for our sexuality. And, and over the course of a number of years, that, that shame has, has pushed itself aside into a, you know what, you just have to accept me for who I am. And the movement now that we have that's ushered into our culture now, is it's, it's, we call it pride. And we have pride week and we have pride parades. And what we're saying is, you know what? I'm tired of living in the closet. Accept me for who I am. I don't care. You see, the danger, the pride of our human heart is that we say, God, I don't wanna know your, your acceptance and I'm the judge of my life. And so we begin to, we live with shame when we don't measure up we, and we begin to be our own judge instead of listening to the command. What did he tell the children of Israel? Don't forget my commands. Don't forget to glorify me. Don't forget to look to me. And so in areas, in areas so sacred as our sexuality in which covenant relationship finds its deepest intimacy and reproduction, there's a fruit that comes from the intimacy of relationship. It's a sacred thing that God has given us for life. And we take that and we begin to pervert it into something that's different. And we go, God, I'll decide when to use this. And God says, only within the covenant of marriage. And then we're like, well, I wanna do it before marriage. And not only that, well, I wanna do it with a different person. And I wanna do it a different way. And God's going, that's not my guidelines for marriage. And so this pride begins to elevate, I'm in charge. And all of a sudden now, when we're in charge, not only are we judging what's right and wrong, we're judging ourselves. And so I'm not gonna condemn myself. And when we begin 
begin to feel like something's not right. Over time, eventually it's moved into a, you know what? I'm just gonna push that feeling down. I don't care. Guess what? I'm gonna behave this way. And now we've embraced a behavior and a choice and a lifestyle. And we say, when I live this way, I'm just gonna say pride. Now, lest you think I'm picking on one particular sin, that sin, it diminishes the, the glory and the image of God in our lives. But so does anger. And so does gluttony. And so does wrath. And so when men who were created by God to be strong and be providers and be caregivers and love and be benevolent leaders of their family, they abuse their wife, they abuse their children physically or just verbally. They talk down to them. Why? Because they feel insecure. It's the same thing. And over time, we just begin to take pride in it. Over time, we just begin to say, that's just my temper, or that's just the way I am, or you know me. And well, that triggered me, and we make excuses for it. And we end up diminishing the, the, the creator's beauty in our life, and we pervert it, and it becomes grievous because now we're in charge. We're gonna do what we want. We're gonna live how we want, and we just call it now, it's just Pride. We're not humble enough to accept God, your limitations, your guidelines on our, our life, and your, your leadership over us. And when, we, when that happens, listen, the, 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 the image that God created for us to display to the world is now an image of like, look at me. James 4 says that God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I want you to know that God created you for for purpose. God has a good plan for your life. The things he has in store is great for you. The, the pursuit that we have for pleasure and the, the Bible calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It just says, give me, 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 me. Listen, we are, we're trying to fill a hole with the pleasures that God created for us to enjoy, but we're now making ourselves the number one thing in the universe. So all I want right now is pleasure, fun, me, self-gratification. And instead of being loving and kind and patient and joyful and content, fulfilled, we are selfish and got to have now and can't wait. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm, 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 I'm right there with you. We got to deal with the pride of our heart. It says, I want to live the way I want to live because not only does it damage our lives, it, it diminishes the, the glory that God meant for your life and my life. And here's the good news. Although pride puts us in a wrong position and it steals the reflection of God in our character and nature, I've got great, great news for you. Are you ready for the good news? Through Jesus, we're brought back into the image of the Son. Through Christ, through faith, we are, we are, we are removed from the wrath that we should receive for disobedience and the curse of sin. You know God cursed the earth when Adam sinned. He goes, now you're gonna have to work the ground. Now, now you're gonna, th there's thorns and thistles and the sweat of your brow and the women, there'll be pain in childbirth. There's a, there's a curse. He goes, you, you sin. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to your sin. He said, but I'm not leaving you completely. If God left us completely to the effects of our choices, he'd be like, fine, my hands are off and it would be over. <laughs> and then when his wrath came, it would be final. But God says, you know what? I, you, you, can, you, you can live in the curse, but I'm gonna send an answer. And if you'll follow him, he'll lead you back to the path of life. That's the good news. Are you grateful that God brings us back into his image? He restores us. He redeems us. And I wanna talk to you about that just for a moment because I think that in some ways we might think that the opposite of 
pride or the antithesis or the solution is I'm gonna be humble. Let's go be humble. And, and I, I wanna let you know or challenge your thought that it's not that simple. Because if I just go try to be humble, guess what's likely to happen in my human heart? Right, okay, so I'm gonna be presented with an opportunity to forgive and be humble and I'm gonna come to this, okay, I'm gonna choose humility. Okay, and I'm gonna be humble. And then guess what deep down inside happens when I checked off that little box? I was humble. <laughs> Look at me how humble I was, oh bless the Lord. I was the bigger man, I let that go. You see, our own human heart, it, it self-sabotages humility because we're proud of how humble we are. That's the tendency, when, when we like, okay, I'm gonna be humble, then, then the, the, the two things that tend to happen is we, we, we revel in that and we're like, look how prideful I, I, or, or humble I was, or we, we just push the pride aside or down and we're like, okay, we stuff it down in there and like, I'm gonna choose to forgive. And it's like a beach ball under the ocean water that you're holding down and you like push it a little further and it just keeps moving around on you and eventually it just, it just comes to the surface. We haven't really dealt with pride at all. I want to propose to you that the solution, the, the deeper solution to pride is not really just going and being humble. The solution to pride is worship. The solution to not being, having a prideful heart is to realign your heart with love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you turn your heart and your eyes to the Lord, it moves you into a position of humility. When, when you choose worship and when you choose to put God at the throne of your life, it, it calls you to, it, it, it moves you into a position of humility because it restores his lordship over your life, over my life. When I worship and I say, God, my life belongs to you. Have you, heard, have you sung that song? I surrender all. I'm sorry for singing it. I just needed to let you know. You, you've heard the song, right? I surrender all. Listen, that's not just words. That's, here's my time. Here's my selfish keeping of my schedule where I don't share with anybody else. Okay, Lord, and then we walk away from Sunday and the Lord's like, okay, you said you have my time? Monday night, I want you to go help that family. Oh, wait, Monday night football, God. You see, when we say, God, here I am, worship says, okay, that my schedule's yours, Lord. I surrender all. Okay, the offering comes around, it's missions time, we wanna give a missions offering, but I just gave in the offering and the Lord's like, give $100. And you're like, $100, God? That's... Nobody in here ever deals with that? Those moments to say, God, I surrender, here's my life. And when we worship the Lord, it, it, it moves us into a position of humility that says, God, you're in charge. Yes, the money's in my pocketbook, yes, the time is on my calendar, but you're in charge. So God, here I am, here's my life. And worship says, God, I'm putting you back on the throne of my life. And I'm not worrying about, listen, here's the liberation in that, here's the freedom. I don't have to busy myself judging, am I doing a good job or not today? I just gotta love you, God. And I just gotta obey you. And when you ask me to move, I've gotta learn to move. And here's the great part about God. He's so loving and so patient that even if I like go, no, God, and disobey and like fall on my face, it says a righteous man falls six times, but he'll get back up seven. And God's waiting right there and go, okay, come on, let's dust your knees off, let's go. The great news about worshiping God is I don't have to check off a box. I just gotta love him and just keep moving. I gotta just keep following him. Worship has a humility to it that says, God, I'm gonna just let you be God. 
I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of trying to judge every aspect of my life and keep everything in order. And, and I, I'm not made to be the controller of my universe. I'm, I am made to steward my heart. I am made to love God the way he asked me to. I'm made to be the husband God made me to be. I, I was created to be the father that he made me to be. I, I, I'm just supposed to say, God, you teach me. And humility begins to settle into our heart through the hope of the Holy Spirit, love. The, the, the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you, when you just say, God, I'm yours, the, the Holy Spirit begins to develop love, joy, peace, patience. It's not always easy because the way we learn love is he'll say, go help that person. You're like, oh, I don't want to, I'm in a hurry. But then when you obey, all of a sudden, it begins to establish in your heart. It roots the love that God has into your heart. It, it, listen, pride is not something you push down. Pride is something you crucify. You gotta kill it. You gotta kill it. And the way to do that is to just love God. Worship. And Jesus sets the greatest example for us. Because Jesus came and he offered his life. The Bible says he offered his life as an offering for sin. And the reason that Jesus did that is because he loved the Father. He knew that the plan of the Father was that he would come and offer his life for you and for me. The Father loves you, and so he came and he submitted to that will. Now, listen, you might think that was easy for Jesus because he's God. And I want you to understand, yes, he was God, fully God. But our doctrine is that God was, when Jesus he came to earth, he was fully God, but he was also fully man which meant that he, he put on skin. <laughs> he had our physical limitations. He had our struggles, and the Bible says even our temptations. He, he had the humanity part of him that got tired, that got hungry, that didn't want to. And sometimes I was like, oh God, again, I gotta deal with Paul or Peter with his little crying and whining. I mean, there, there, there had to have been those thoughts that came, but yet still he chose, he showed us how to choose to honor the Father. So Jesus becomes a great example for us because not only did he model it for us and then he took our penalty for sin so that we could be washed and forgiven. Now through faith, the Bible says, we can come into his presence boldly through Christ. So, so we have this avenue through Jesus. We just got to submit our lives to Jesus. But the really cool thing is he modeled and showed us how to do it. And he says, if you'll just trust me and have faith, I will lead you into the obedience of the Father. And so in Philippians 2, Paul's talking to the church in Philippi and he tells them in your relationships with them, they were fighting and quibbling and quarreling and arguing. I'm, I follow Paul, I follow this. And, and Paul says, I'm gonna call you to have the mindset, the same mindset of Christ. In your relationship with each other, have the mind of Christ. He says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used or grasped for his advantage. Instead, rather, he made himself nothing. Jesus came and said, I'll take on the very nature of a servant. I'm here to do your will. And we see Jesus live on the earth for 33 years. Then he offers him life and right offers his life. And just before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's like, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to serve you and love these people and bring them back to you without having to go to that cross, because he knew what it meant, not only the physical pain, but being separated from God because of the sin. He, he knew what was coming. And, and, he, and at that moment, he was like, if there's any other way, the humanity side of him kicked in and go, this is not easy. But the Bible says he became obedient even unto death. And, and, and Jesus becomes an example for us how, how to do the will of the Father, even if it's hard. I mean, in that moment in the garden, he just, he just, he just said, I, here I am, God. Nevertheless, your will be done. 
here's the worship. You're more valuable than even my life. You're more valuable than the struggle or the pain I might have to go through. I love you more than I, than I love my comfort and my well-being and my peace. And, and the Bible says, Jesus became the very nature of the servant. And Paul's appealing to the church, be that way with each other because Jesus showed us how to love God and how to, how to serve and how to put it first. And here's the thing I want you to understand. The Bible says in Isaiah that after the suffering of his soul, he saw the light of life and was satisfied. What that means is Jesus lived a life, he struggled as you and I, he, he went to the cross, he laid his life down, and he went through agony and pain and separation on your behalf. And then when he rose from the dead, he says he saw the, the, the good thing that had been done, the plan of redemption, that you and I could now come to the presence because of grace and forgiveness. And he says, this is good. It's like the future self that, that works out real hard and diets and you reach your goal and go, hey, it's gonna be worth it, don't give up. That's kind of the picture here. He's like, after all the pain and the sorrow, he went through it and he's saying, listen, here's what I want you to understand. If, if you don't get anything else from today, God has a good plan for you. He's a benevolent, loving father. He, he, he gives and he's offered, but listen, he's more concerned with your character and your soul than he is just about your temporary needs. And so, yeah, you may have to go through some seasons of growing your character and crucifying your flesh, and let, but God's saying, I'm helping you let go of things that destroy you so that you can have life. And like Jesus showed us, he obeyed the Father, obeyed the Father, obeyed the Father, and then even went to the cross. The Bible says, even unto death. And then when it's done, he goes, it is good. God's plan is good. And the Bible says in that very next verse in Isaiah, and through his sacrifice and knowledge, he brought, he brought many back to the Father. You see, he, he said it's good. God's plan is good. So worship is an act of our will saying, God, I put you in charge. God, I trust you. God, I'm not gonna look at my career or my job just through my temporary eyes and go, God, how come my hours got cut? And how come my budget's not this? And how come my family's not this? God, I, I, God, here's my life. I'm offering it to you. I'm gonna look in the eyes of eternity. What is your will? What do you want me to do? That act of worship moves you into humility. I guarantee you, you're not gonna stand in a place of, God, here's my life. I'm in charge and be stomping your foot going, God, why didn't you give me what I want? <laughs> We're like, God, here I am. Worship destroys the prideful heart. I love that the Lord has not only called us to out of a darkness and out of a position of wrath, but he brings us into a place of liberty. Because here's what I've learned in my life, that, that there is such a liberty and a liberation when I just give my life to the Lord it looks like, oh, well, there's restrictions. I can't do this or I can't do that from outsiders. But to a heart that's been freed, you're like, are you kidding? The boundaries of the Lord are good. I can trust him. You know, I, I can, here's my finances, Lord. As we cross those bridges and just say, God, here I am. He tests us and we're like, give that money. We're like, oh, okay, God. And we let it go. And then we're like, you know what? That's not so bad. I can be generous after all. And God's still gonna provide for me. There's a liberty that comes in living within the guidelines of God. So here's the picture. Pride, I'll do what I want when I want and you have to accept me and tolerate me. <laughs> okay, you can live that way. But we'll tolerate you. It's your choice. 
but you're being bound up in the heart. You're elevating yourself to God. You're in charge of everything and you got to figure everything out on your own and the stress of the world is on you or God, here's my life. If you're with me on that one, would you stand? God, here's my life. Worship. God, here, here's my heart. I offer you my, my, my life. I offer you my, my mind, my conscience, my will. Worship elevates God back to the position he needs to be.